Welcome to the AAA NFT podcast, all about affordable NFTs, bringing you from zero to 60 in the non-fungible token world without breaking the bank. With your hosts, Andrew, aka Rantum, and George from Mostly Stable on Zed Run, who will help you navigate new projects, interview expert guests, and explore NFT trends. So whether you're on your first or 50th NFT, we're going to have something for you. And as a quick note, we are not, I repeat, not financial advisors and nothing in this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Alrighty, disclaimer over, let's get to it. This week on the Nonprofit News Feed, well, we are talking about Earth Day and the various events that happened and news that came out, as well as some top-level news on pandemic recovery, maybe stalling a little bit for nonprofits. Nick, how's it going? It's going good, George. I can start us off with our first story, and this is about the role of nonprofits in fighting our climate emergency. So coming on the heels of an IPCC report, that is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which says it's now or never with addressing carbon emissions in the atmosphere to stave off a climate catastrophe. We wanted to highlight the role of a couple different nonprofits and NGOs fighting climate change in different capacities. The first one we highlighted in this story was the international NGO the International Crisis Group, which published a really cool interactive feature about how climate change leads to conflict in countries that are seeing the effects of climate change firsthand. It's just a great visualization. They always do such great visual journalism work. And I think it really emphasizes the importance of looking at climate when we think about broader political, social, cultural, and unfortunately conflict on a global scale. Another angle we wanted to approach this story a little bit more locally to probably many of our listeners is that two New York City-based nonprofits, the Central Park Conservancy and Natural Areas Conservancy, have teamed up with the Yale School of the Environment to launch the Central Park Climate Lab. And this is a really cool one. According to Reuters, the program seeks to better understand the New York City metro area's increasingly extreme weather and how parks may be part of that solution. And they're setting up all sorts of different scientific measuring equipment and are going to be using Central Park as essentially an open air laboratory for climate science. So wanted to take a couple different angles on this approach to climate change coming off the heels of Earth Day. But George, what's your take on how nonprofits can address climate change? Yeah, I think nonprofits have already been addressing climate change. For me, it's about how you kind of, how, how do you call this a crisis day in and day out and pull toward these like long-term, if the Celsius gets to like two degrees increase and what happens then it's tough because you have to find different narratives inside of it. And I, I think one of the things that the international NGO, international crisis group did was, you know, just far more visual in terms of explaining this. So one of the links that we did include, and this gets back to like how nonprofits can look at it is like, show me the visual, honestly. And this is a really amazing dynamic presentation of what's going on. But then you like juxtapose that with the IPCC sixth assessment report, which like even the summary needs a summary 
of the summary. And I think one takeaway is that sure, uh, highly technical documents are what are needed for maybe policy advisors, but that doesn't get the donor out of bed. And I think it's much more about visualizing what it looks like. You know, that's why we went from like very macro to very micro into saying like, this is what it looks like, Central Park. But these issues touch upon, of course, issues of social justice based on the way that you solve for it and also the potential impacts for it. So it's on, on both sides. And so peeling out those stories and again, making it visual, making it simple while also not making it uh, kind of hopeless, right? If, if you set a goal that is far, far, far beyond the capabilities of what people can do, the, the response is giving up. And so sometimes I get some of these reports and visuals and I'm like, all right, so I got to give up. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to drive less. How, how can I solve this? So you have to, you have to tow that very carefully. I think in communications around this and, and every year around Earth Day, we see a lot of uh, reports coming out and it's good uh, to continue to remind our constituents on how this issue touches. Absolutely. And I think it's also, there's so many threads you can take the story, right? Because it's so interconnected and inextricably linked with so many other parts of the global economy and discussions about natural resources. And now we're starting talking about global oil prices and sanctions and conflict and all of these things come together. So threading that narrative in a way that doesn't discount any of those really important factors, I think is super important to your point. But we can do it. We set realistic but ambitious goals. We can get there. All right. Our next story comes from the Nonprofit Times, and it's how the nonprofit sector's post-pandemic recovery is lacking behind that of the broader economy. So according to data from an analysis by Independent Sector, while charitable giving has largely remained steady year over year, it is not keeping pace with the broader growth experienced by the economy at large. And additionally, the nonprofit sector remains down approximately 495,000 jobs from, I believe, approximately the 1.6 it was down at the height of the, this. Both these factors represent a lag behind the broader U.S. economy, which, despite higher prices, is kind of steamrolling ahead with a hyper-competitive jog market and pretty significant growth. So, George, just something to keep an eye on as we look at the nonprofit sector as a whole. Yeah, I'm not super surprised to see it lagging, but it is sort of interesting to see that that recovery there. And in terms of numbers of jobs, one of the places I just always look at is idealist.org. And if you just pop on there, currently there are like 8,800 jobs on just broadly open and, and listed out there. So it is one of the larger job networks for for nonprofit. It's some something to watch, and I think it'll it'll begin increasing and catching up as services get back to back to more of a normal endemic. Hey, we can go back to work. Hey, we can have after school programs more regularly, and, and that need is only going to simply increase. I think over time. Absolutely, I agree, and I think that. The charitable sector as a whole is not immune from broader trends in the economy, like an increase in wages that puts pressure on uh, employers to find qualified candidates for jobs. There's a lot of factors here. And this actually takes us into our next story in the summary, 
And this comes from a local NBC affiliate in Connecticut about how union mental health workers are striking for better conditions at a nonprofit in New London. So these workers are essentially outsourced mental health professionals paid for by local government, and they have gone on a strike to demand higher wages. We've covered stories before about how nonprofits, particularly some nonprofit health providing organizations, are really struggling to compete with wages, even with uh, local fast food restaurants, for example. And I think this is an example of workers kind of exercising their power here to demand higher wages. But again, a, a different angle to the broader macroeconomic trends we've been talking. Yeah, for mental health, especially the type of work is, this may be a small story in some respects, but as a, as a larger narrative, and it fits in very, very clearly, especially in the uh, service of mental health, which is at an all-time high in terms of demand because of the mental taxes that have been put on communities due to COVID, and then on top of that, inflation. And so, again, nonprofit, this kills me, like nonprofits don't have the, the money lever necessarily to say like, okay, everyone who's paying services, you have to all pay 10% more. I don't hear like the money button isn't there in the same way that gas stations can change their rates. McDonald's can up the price. That's just not, not there at the same point. Yeah. These workers absolutely need to get paid in line with the services they're, they're providing. It's just, it, it's it takes longer to get there. So, uh, hard place for nonprofits for sure. in direct service industries. Absolutely. I think those are great points. All right, I'll take us into our next story, and this comes from kfgo.com. And it's a story about how Warren Buffett is hosting a charity dinner. I guess the setup here is you can pay in an auction a large, an absurd amount of money, frankly, to join Warren Buffett at the Walensky Steakhouse in Smith and Walensky Steakhouse in Manhattan, excuse me. Previous winners have included cryptocurrency entrepreneur Justin Sun, who paid a record $4.57 million for the privilege of dining with Mr. Buffett back in 2019. But this is the last time, apparently, this will be happening. Mr. Buffett is quite old, and this, this is going to be the last such charity lunch. But George, I'm not super knowledgeable about the 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 mega wealthy philanthropy charity universe and even here it seems like cult of personality almost around Warren Buffett and I guess his investing prowess. But what's what's your take on this? I just uh, had to call it out and put it up at the top because this is the twenty first time that he's done it, and in my mind, this is the this is created a whole model of auctioning off a lunch with a VIP that many nonprofits have, have taken and run with and has raised a significant amount of money. And it's just, you know, an amazing way, I guess now it's not that new and clever, but it's an amazing way to say, hey, we have somebody who may be able to write a big check, but more importantly, would you be willing to auction off a lunch? Something simple, it seems that then rose, uh, was able to raise a lot more money for for Glide over the years. And it's a, I don't know, you know, it's just sort of like an interesting note that like, all right, this is the final 
lunch that he is auctioning off. And I think a lot of other nonprofits have done that. So I think there is a takeaway here for organizations to come back to this, especially as guess what? Like more and more people are now able to go have lunch together. How can you maybe bring this back into uh, a fundraising ask of some of the people on your team? If you've got some of those board members, you know who they are uh, saying like, Hey, Buffett's stopping. Can we start? Can you say, Hey, for the next five years, can we auction off a lunch? And some of the risks can be that like I crashed my own house party because no one came. You want to make sure there are people that are going to bid on it. It's just a funny way of saying like, if you have somebody impressive, but then nobody bids, that is not a good thing. So there's a little bit of that risk as well. And you can also take a look at some of the models on this, on the charity buzz networks and these auction networks to see how these are packaged also. Absolutely. That's a great point. There's a whole industry of auctioning off kind of celebrity access for charity. I somewhat famously donated to the Obama campaign back in 2012 for the chance to get a lunch with Barack Obama. And my dream did not come true, but I donated to the cause. And now my email lives on in infamy. All right. Our next story is a follow-up on one we did a couple of weeks ago. And this comes from the Denver Post. And it's a follow-up on how Colorado's nonprofit hospitals a different take, I should say, on how Colorado's nonprofit hospitals are giving enough to their communities. So the follow-up is in a fairly splashy report from the Loan Institute, or Loan Institute, um, a think tank that focuses on healthcare reform, posited that most of or major American nonprofit hospitals are not reinvesting enough in their communities. And the take of this article was that Actually, to George, the point you raised when we recorded that podcast is that actually the the more important question is how these hospitals are offering free or discounted care to people who can't pay. So it just adds a little bit more nuance and a, a couple of different angles to that story there, particularly related to Colorado. But George, why do you include this story in our rundown? I think it's a follow on of that larger report that we talked about and what that looks at a local level and more and more, you know, papers and journalism now looking into, hey, isn't that interesting? Yeah, you do get a tax advantage of, of being a 501c3. So wait a minute, what, what the community service, the service to the people in this community, what does that actually look like? Or unfortunately, sometimes are you the number one reason many uh, are neighbors declaring bankruptcy. And I'm not saying that that's the case here, but it's following the larger report and the work that a large sort of research nonprofit funding can have to then move the needle locally. And it's part of maybe even a potential press, press push and press awareness to, to now pay attention to and in, in whatever sector that you work in. But this is following it through, through hospitals for sure. Absolutely. All right, George, what about a feel-good story for today? We can. Before we get there, though, I do want to call out one of the resources that we've been putting out there around Google Analytics and the Google Analytics apocalypse uh, that we've been talking about, where essentially Google Analytics, universal analytics, that's the probably the version you're using uh, and has been in place for a number of years, is being deprecated. Uh, it's going to effectively be no longer collecting any information on your site as of July next year, 2023. So yeah, you have a year. However, what's important to note is that 
in order to get new data into GA4, Google Analytics 4, the newest, greatest, latest, you have to actually go through a full different installation process. An installation process to make sure that you're collecting data now that you'll want to look at later. So for example, when the lights go out in July of next year, you're going to be interested in looking at year over year comparisons to similar metrics that you've been collecting. So in order to do that, you need to prioritize that now. So yes, this is a bit of a headache, but we are letting all of our clients know, past clients and as many people as will listen, that this is something that you need to prioritize a little bit of work right now to do so that you have data later and aren't saying, oh my gosh, I didn't know about this. So if this is the first time you're hearing about it, that's fine. <laughs> Check out uh, our site and this post and we'll have those resources for you. All right. Now feel good. All right. That's a, that's a feel stress story for some of us <laughs> who work in the nonprofit web analytics field, but a feel good story is from the Northern Virginia Daily, nvdaily.com. And they talk about a nonprofit called Sustainability Matters that has gathered at the Shenandoah County Landfill to celebrate the kickoff of the second part of their Making Trash Bloom project. I am an expert in environmental science or whatever the field is that manages plants, but they are hydro-seeding native wildflower seeds with 900 gallons of water onto the living trash cell. So I think what this means in layman's terms is they are turning trash into flowers. And I love that. That is pretty. That sounds good for the environment. And it's being led by a nonprofit. So nothing not to love here. Yeah, I always love the environment meets nonprofits. And it's a, it's a great story there. But there's a lot of work to be done to beautify and manage the tremendous amount of trash we shove under under the the good old earth. And there's a lot that goes into it, including sort of venting and management of the the wastewater that gets run out. But get some get some flowers going and it's a project that frankly nonprofits take on to to solve the the downstream problems of like, okay, a bunch of companies threw away a bunch of stuff and now they don't have to pay for the the common problem, but nonprofits pick up in moments like that, which is why it's good that we have those three sectors always working together, but usually the sector I love the most doing the most important work. Absolutely. All right, Nick. Thanks as always. Thanks, George. This has been an episode of the AAA NFT podcast, all about affordable NFTs. The episode notes and resources may be found at 3ANFT.com in our show notes. Again, 3ANFT.com. And that reminder, don't bet what you can't afford to lose. Remember, we are not financial advisors and nothing in this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Thanks for joining us. I hope you learned something.